Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. I want to talk to you tonight about being maxed out. Living life where there just doesn't seem to be anything else left in us. Do you know, I don't know about you, but I know in my life, and I'm sure you guys can say this at the moment, is that there's a whole lot of unspoken things that seem to come at us that overwhelm us. Each and every one of us can feel that, I believe, at different times in their life. There's so much pressure in life today that we feel at times that we're just so overwhelmed. And I don't know about you, but I, I stand there at times and I say to myself, how in the world am I going to get through this one? There just doesn't seem to be a way. You know, I can sit there and claim that God will make a way when there doesn't seem to be a way. But in reality, I'm sitting there going, I just don't see that there's a way. God, you know, I, I, I'm pastor of a church and I need to say the right thing, but I'm finding myself in something here right now. And I may, this is coming out of my mouth, but in reality, I am just struggling deeply. Have I got any friends here tonight that have ever felt like that? You know, in the Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12, it says this, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. And so the writer wants us to understand the dangers of living with the pain of unfulfilled desires. See, what we do is we often cover up these things called, uh, these feelings, if you like, of loss of hope. We try to eliminate these desires altogether. Some of us, what we do is we put all our energy into sort of pretending that they're not actually there. I've met people that use cynicism in the midst of their struggles to reject what's actually going on. Some want to cover up these desires by just becoming more busy. Some of us, we just want to push them away and just say to ourselves that they don't exist. It's sad to live like that. But see, what we need to understand is that God has actually hardwired desire into you, into your humanity. And when you actually reject this idea of being hardwired, we can allow those things to overshadow us. And what happens is that ultimately we'll find a time in our lives where we become so overwhelmed by just doing life that we're not sure how we're going to make it through. Do you know, the proverb says to us, reminds us that there's a tree of life. The tree of life is symbolic of God's perfect provision for us. It relates basically to being God's perfect will. You know, but we know that in Genesis, there was two trees. There was the tree of life and there was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil actually represents us surrendering ourselves to the devil's manipulative plans. What it's saying is that when we live in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it gives the devil access to open us up to all those things that he wants to do to tear us down. And what happens for us is when we view life through that place, we will become overwhelmed with just trying to live our lives out. So tonight, I want to look at this idea of hope deferred makes the heart sick. 
I want to look at it through a situation of one of the great prophets of God. You've probably all heard of this particular person, Elijah. And Elijah finds himself in a crazy situation. So if you've got your Bibles there, I'm going to ask you to open it to 1 Kings chapter 19 and just sort of sit there for a moment. I'm going to get there just in a few minutes and start to read some of that to you. But we find Elijah, as I said, one of the major prophets ministering during a time of King Ahab and Jezebel. Now, Elijah was so in with God that in the Bible, it tells us that he never died. That's how cool he was with God. He actually never died. He was taken up in a chariot of fire. What a way to go. That's the way I wanted to go, but probably won't happen to me because I'm not in with God like Elijah was. But he's a key figure, a key figure. Did you know Elijah found himself at the transfiguration of Jesus? There was Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, who was the fulfillment of the prophets and the law. Isn't that cool? Elijah at the transfiguration. Again, it's giving you some idea of just how this guy was living out his life. He was what I would call a super prophet. But here's the truth. Even though he was so in with God, he was a super prophet, he never died, didn't taste death. He was a human being. And as a human being, he became overwhelmed just like you and me do. And what happened is he actually allowed his emotions to get in the way of what God wanted to do in his life. Have you ever found yourself like that? Have you ever found yourself allowing your emotions to get in the way of what God wants to do? You know, many of us sit there with probably prophetic words over our lives, encouragement that's been given to us. We know where God wants to take us, but the reality is life so overwhelms us that we're looking at it through the wrong eyes. We're looking at it through the tree of life or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil rather than the tree of life. And so what happens here for Elijah in 1 Kings 17 and 18, he is living in this place of miracle after miracle after miracle going on in his life, through his life and around his life. And what I discovered as I read through this is that God is at his best when we're at our worst. Did you know that? God is at his best when you're already at your worst. We just need to be able to see that. So often we're at our worst, we can't see God anywhere. We're so overwhelmed by our circumstances. How in the world can God be in the midst of what is going on? You know, one of the testimonies I love to hear tonight when we're at Pastor Tony's place. He talked about God being at God's best when he felt at his worst. And the lessons that are learned out of the valley. Do you know, most of us want to live on the mountain, but I want to say to you, you never learn the lessons on the mountain that you'll learn in the valley. Never, ever. The lessons of life are learned in the valley. We all love to sit on the mountain and we love to celebrate on the mountain. But the way that you enjoy the mountain will be determined by how you walk through the valley. Let's walk the valleys so we can enjoy the mountains. In chapter 19, Elijah has fled. 
from Queen Jezebel. Queen Jezebel is King Ahab's wife because what had happened for Elijah is he killed a whole bunch of prophets, the prophets of Baal. And, uh, and, and we see here, again, as I mentioned a moment ago, that God is meeting him in his darkest moment and encouraging him to get up and move on. Maybe tonight there is stuff going on in people's lives here that God wants to meet with you and encourage you and lift you up and tell you to get going. To move ahead. I believe that's a word not just for individuals in this place tonight, but I believe that's a word for this church. That God is causing you, calling you to stand up and get moving and focus on God because you're not just going to reach this particular area here, but God has placed a mantle on this church that we want to, that I believe is going to reach out across the nation. Across the nation. Now you might sit there and go, ah, oh, well, what, what good comes out of Adelaide? What good come, what would good come out of Victory Church? I want to tell you, when you live in the valley and learn the lesson, when you get to the mountain, what God can do in your life will blow your minds. So you mightn't realize that already this church is affecting the nation. This church has had incredible effect on our church in little old Geelong. And across other churches, there is a mantle on this church that just doesn't exist in this time and space. It is meant to flow out of here and be a, 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 an encouragement to the churches in our nation. Catch that in your spirit tonight. 1 Kings 19 verse 1, it says, When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way that he killed all the prophets of Baal. And so Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. The first thing I want to say is this, the danger of living with a root of bitterness. I meet people all the time that are living with a root of bitterness. And this is interesting about the root of bitterness. You don't know it's there. You don't know it's there. Others can see it, but you don't know it's there but it's producing fruit that is dangerous for your life and to the lives of others. And so what's happening here is that Jezebel is living with a root of bitterness. But let me tell you what Hebrews says, verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 14. It says, Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you falls to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Did you hear that? That when you allow a root of bitterness to take control of your life, not only does it affect you, but it says here that it will grow up and corrupt many. We see this often generationally. We see it operating in families. Do you know we actually see the root of bitterness operating in churches? Yeah. I've been in churches where I think to myself, man, there is a root of bitterness in this place. There's a language of the, in this place that is death. We need to deal with these things. We need to realise that they're there. And do you know, that's why we're accountable to each other. You wonder why you're a part of a family? You wonder why you've got incredible pastors in this place? Because they'll speak the word of truth so that none of us are going to walk around carrying a root of bitterness that affects our life and affects the lives of others around us. 
Do you know the root of bitterness only manifests itself, if you like, or is allowed to grow in you when you feed it through a perceived attack on your character? A perceived attack on your character. That's what's happening to Jezebel here. She's seeing what is going on, the prophets of Baal being destroyed as an attack on her character. And so this root of bitterness all of a sudden starts to jump up in her life. It's like, you know, uh, Ellen Meyer. How many people here know Ellen Meyer? I remember Ellen was telling me uh, a little while back when he was preaching in our church. And he talked about what flows up out of our hearts. And he says, uh, we're in Hawaii on holidays. And uh, we, we decided to go into the, into the main shopping centre one night to a restaurant that someone had told us about. And so Alan said they were staying on the beach and they walked, he worked out that they could walk along the beach and through a couple of resorts and into the central part of the town and have dinner. So they'd walk for about 15 or 20 minutes. And they can't sort of find their way through each particular resort into where they want to go. They know that they're sort of heading in the right direction. And Alan keeps saying, oh, let's, we'll go left, we'll go right, we'll do this, we'll do that. And then all of a sudden, Alan says to him, Alan, do you know where you're going? <laughs> do you know what Alan said? All of a sudden, something rose up within him. And he got angry at Alan. Because do you know what Alan heard? Through a root of bitterness? that you're an idiot and you get lost and you have no idea what's going on. How many times have you heard that? How many times has something flown out, flown, come out of you when you think, man alive, where did that come from? Why did I respond like that? Because we're actually allowing a root of bitterness to take hold of us and it will produce fruit. See, Jezebel manipulated Ahab, to build altars for Baal and to turn his back on worshipping Yahweh. Ahab was a Yahweh worshipper. And we discover that you know, Jezebel's influence, Jezebel's root of bitterness was so powerful in Ahab's life that what he did is he destroyed the Yahweh worship within Israel at that time and started to build monuments to Baal all around the place. And this is what the Bible said, that he was the worst king that they'd ever had. Huh, how's that? That'd be a lovely way to be remembered within Scripture. The worst king ever. Thanks a lot. You know, young people, I want to say to you tonight, pick your friends wisely. Pick your friends wisely. It is so important who we hang with and who we allow to speak in our lives. Proverbs 13 verse 20. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and you'll get in trouble. That's pretty simple, isn't it? I love the way the Bible sort of doesn't mess around. just goes, slap, cop that. 1 Corinthians 15 Don't be fooled by those who say such things. For bad company corrupts good character. Look who you hang around with. You know, as Christians, we need to be reaching out to everybody. We need to love people unconditionally. But who speaks into your life? Be careful. Who you hang with? Be careful. Be careful. Because it can affect your life like Ahab's life was affected as well. 
The second thing that I notice here in this passage is Elijah moved his focus off God and onto his problems. Do you know what happens when you move your focus off God and onto your problems? Well, it says in verse 3, Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. And then he went on alone into the wilderness, travelling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed to that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who had already died. You know, when you move your focus off God, everything becomes confusing. Everything becomes confusing. You cannot see what is going on. Do you know what happens is you read situations wrongly. You misunderstand other people's motives. You actually believe the false reports. Lies become more believable than truth. Hey, we've all been there, haven't we? In our humanity, lives more believable than the truth. And people come alongside you and go, man, that's not true. Yeah, but it feels like it's true. No, you need to know the truth of God's Word. You know, we don't stand here from pulpits and tell people to read your Bible because it's just something good to do. We want to know what God's Word is because you're going to get bombarded with lie after lie after lie after lie. How can you stand against the devil's manipulative plans if you don't know what's truth? You need to understand truth. Elijah had two major things that moved his focus off God. The first one was his physical state. A physical state affected his decision-making. You know, when I read this story, I thought, man, you've got to be joking. What's going on here? Do you know, Elijah built an altar. And then he ran 30 kilometres home to beat Ahab back to Jezreel. And when he got there, he hears a bad report. And so what he does is he takes off for 160 kilometres away from Jezebel. And he gets to this place with his servants and he says, you know what we need to do? We need to stop for a moment. You guys camp here and I'm going to move on. And he walked another day. See, in the midst of his physical exhaustion, he has no ability to see God's purposes in his life. It's important to be able to rest and sit and understand what God is actually doing in our life. We, we sort of have this thing in Pentecostal churches. Is, man, we're just going to go 100 mile an hour. I, I'd rather burn out than die than just sit there doing nothing. And the fact is that we need clarity in our decision making. We need to sit and listen to what God is saying to us. It is okay to stop for a moment. I would suggest it's actually biblical to stop. What do you think the Sabbath is all about? It's the day where you stop and you focus your attention on God. And so he may be a super prophet, but he's still a human being that needs to take care of his physical self. The second thing here is his inability to separate, as I mentioned before, truth from lies. What was Elijah's major lie? He stood before God and he goes, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. It's just me. There's a whole lot of them. And I'm the only one left. You know what it feels like to feel that alone? 
You're going to any wonder he's making decisions that he's making. But the truth is, he was believing the lie rather than what was actually going on around him. See, there were still a hundred prophets and over 7,000 worshippers still lifting up their hands to Yahweh, the God, their God. Oh man, alive. How often does our pain and our confusion alienate us and from others because of not understanding the truth? Not understanding the truth. <laughs> Not only is he running from Jezebel because he doesn't want to die, but hear this. When he arrives at this place, what does he say? In his confusion, in his exhaustion, in the midst of being surrounded by lies, he actually sits there and goes, God, kill me! Hold on, hold on. You've just done 30 Ks, 160 Ks, a day's walk, running from somebody that wants to kill you. And you finally arrive at your destination and you look at God and you go, kill me! Come on! How dumb is that? But we've done that in our lives. We've done it. The third point is that low moments blind you to God's provision. Do you know when you live in that place, you don't see what God's doing for you. It says here in verse 5, Then he lay down and slept under a broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. And he looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And so he ate and drank and lay down again. Think about that for a moment. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up, eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. Hang on, Elijah. You are laying asleep. And an angel comes and bakes some bread and leaves a drink for you. And not only that, taps you. And you get up, have something to eat, and go back to sleep. You can't even see God's provision. That's all around him. What would you do if God turned up at your place and made bacon and eggs? An angel turned up at your place and made bacon and eggs for breakfast. That'd be a pretty amazing time. You'd be on the phone, Pastor Tony, Pastor Kathy, you wouldn't believe what happened this morning. Had an angel of the Lord turn up in my house. It was incredible. I doubt whether you would walk back into the bedroom, lay down and go to sleep. But you're getting the picture of what it is here for Elijah, who's just living totally maxed out, has no idea what is going on here. He's so overwhelmed by his life circumstance that he misses the miraculous suddenly. The miraculous suddenly. Do you know how often do you miss the miraculous suddenly? Do you know, uh, years ago, probably in ministry, probably for a couple of years, and one of our teaching pastors, Pastor Richard, said to me one day, uh, when did you have your first encounter with God? And I said, oh, I was uh, 27, brother died, and I uh, went to church, heard someone preach, gave my life to Jesus. He goes, no, 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 no. When was the first time 
you had an encounter with God. I said, I just told you. I was 27, went to church. This is what happened to me. I met Jesus. And he goes, no, what we're going to do is we're going to take out a piece of paper. And we're going to work our way back. And I want you to see the miraculous suddenlies in your life. In your life. Do you know there's people here tonight that you don't know Jesus, but you've been living in the miraculous suddenlies. And in the name of Jesus tonight, I command your eyes to be open so you can see God in the midst of that. Don't let the devil blur you from what God is doing in your life. Pastor Tony said before, this place was built for you tonight. Welcome home. Thanks for coming. So here's the good news. God doesn't leave you in that place. God continues. The angel came back. God continues to pay to provide a way through and a way out when there isn't a place that looks like there's no hope. It says in verse 8, so he got up and he drank. And the food that they gave him was enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And then he came to a cave where he spent the night. And the Lord speaks to Elijah, but but the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? (laughs) That's bizarre. I don't know about you, but I see the funny side of the Bible. Have something to eat. 40 days, 40 nights, turns up. Hops in a cave and hears these words. What are you doing here? Elijah, come on, what are you doing here? Do you know there's times in our lives we find ourselves in places and we actually think we're right in the midst of God's will and God's going, what are you doing here? This isn't where you're meant to be. Do you know, you can actually have supernatural revision and it'll take you away from where God wants you to be. Think about Jonah. Jonah's running from God. He turns up on that particular day. A boat's heading in that direction. The wind is blowing in that direction. And it takes him away from God's will. But God pursues him. You imagine God says, Jonah, what are you doing here? What are you doing on this boat? Elijah, what are you doing in the cave? What's God saying to you tonight? Whatever your name is, what are you doing here? And I'm not talking about in church. It's a good place to be. But what are you doing with your life now? What are you involved in? What are you committed to? Where's your passion? What are your eyes focused on? What are you doing here? And if we stay in that place, we'll continue to live with this idea of hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. This is the answer. You need clarity around the what. Clarity around the what. Can you imagine walking for 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai without a reason? Without a reason? Just get up and walk. And not only that, you get there and God says, you know, what are you doing here? Verse 10, Elijah replies, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. Ah, religious But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars and they've killed every one of your prophets. What did he say? I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Elijah, 40 days ago you asked God to kill you. 
You're running from Jezebel because she's trying to kill you. And you end up in a cave where you're not even meant to be, pouring your heart out to God, telling Him what you've done for Him. See, what Elijah is really saying here is, God, God, I've been the best prophet that I could be. I've done things, God, for you that no one else could do. I've been loyal, God. I've been faithful. I've kept my promise. But you know something, God? I can't do this anymore. God, everybody's against me. Everyone's turned their backs on me. I've done all I can do to teach them the truth. And now all they want to do is kill me. What else do you want from me, God? Is there anybody here tonight that has said those words? Or maybe even tonight, when you, before you arrived here, they were the words that were echoing in your heart. See, we love to come up with excuses for not serving God the way that we should. What do we do? We go and hide in our little corner or our little cave so that we're out of sight and out of mind. And we hope that God would just forget about us for a little while. God comes and he speaks to us. And it's like, I'll speak to the hand. Not interested. Not interested. And you say to God, I've done more at that church than anybody else. All those other people put together, I've done more. I'm tired of carrying the load while everybody else has a fun time. They seem to just sit back and do nothing. I'm sick of people calling me. I'm sick of people wanting me to do things for them. I've burned out. I'm tired. I'm confused. I'm worn out. I'm killing myself for nothing because nobody else cares how I feel. Boy, how many times as a pastor have I heard those words? But I want to say to you tonight, God has an answer for you. And it's this, my fifth point, that you need intimacy in the visitation. You need intimacy with God in the visitation. Verse 11, go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And Elijah stood up there. The Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the blocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak. And he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. I'm going to ask the music team to come back. See, us good Pentecostals, we want to find God in the miraculous. God, if you could just do this. God, if you could heal me, if you could provide this. God, if you open this door. God, if you could do something for me that is miraculous, I will give my life to you totally. I will serve you with all I've got. Because we want God in the miraculous. And God is showing here, Elijah, Elijah, it's not about the miraculous. You get to see an earthquake. You get to see a fire. You get to see the rocks break loose. You get to see all that stuff. But tell you what, Elijah, 
I'm not in that stuff. I'm not in that. This is where I am, Elijah. I'm in the gentle whisper. I'm in the gentle whisper. You're looking for me in the wrong places. I'm in the gentle whisper. What's he saying to you? Is it you'll find God in the being, not so much in the doing? <laughs> See, we just want to do and do and do. Do you know, if I do more, I'll be acknowledged. If I do more, I'll be recognized. I'll, I'll, I'll get positioned. If I just do more, I will not be a person that will ever say no to Pastor Tony and Kath because I just want to do, 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 do. Because what I do, everybody sees. Now, this is a dangerous thing to say because I remember years ago I told our church about discovering God in the being. And what actually happened was that this is how they heard it. We need to stop all our volunteering. (laughs) And we just need to seek God. So tonight, in Jesus' name, there will not be a whole bunch of you retiring from your duties. I, I... Or I'll be in trouble and never get invited back. But here's what's going on. See, in the being, you empower your doing. In your being, you empower your doing. See, whatever you're doing now and whatever impact and influence you have in your doing now will be increased by your being. How cool is that? In the being. <laughs> if you're struggling tonight with the doing, I want to tell you, when you allow to live your place in the being, in the gentle whisper, that yoke that you feel is tearing you down in your doing will be released In Jesus' name. And you'll discover a greater dimension to your ministry in the doing. See, it's not found in all the miraculous stuff. But you know, if you want to see the miraculous, start to live it in the being. You'll see the miraculous because I've met people time after time who say, if I could just see God do this, if I could just see God do that. And I've seen God move in people's lives and they're not in church today. Now, I don't get that. Several years ago, I prayed for a guy who had pancreas cancer. Went to a hospital. The doctor said he had a short period of time to live. And I took my wife, Leonie's dad with, dad with me, who's an elder, and we went and anointed him and we talked about Christ and what God had done and he didn't have to fear and, and, and we're taking him through this process. He gave his life to Jesus in the hospital. And about six months later, I never knew what happened. About six months later, I'm sitting after, at church, after church one night and I'm reading our local paper. And it's got a photo an ad actually, this guy was a painter and there was an ad in there for him looking for more work. He had 24 hours to live and God heals him miraculously in the hospital. Twice I've seen that happen. Twice 
I've watched people walk away from God. Not even in church. I said to my friend, what happened to this guy? Do we pray for what church does he go for? Oh, he just believes that the medicine healed him. He had 24 hours to live. He was like, he was yellow. Oh, he doesn't even go to church anymore. See, no matter what you see in the miraculous, if you're not living in the being, it won't sustain you. That's what, that's what God's saying to Elijah. Come on, Elijah. You've seen this. You've seen that. You've been involved in this. Miracles, miracles after miracle after miracle after miracle. What are you doing here? Why did you run? Come on, Elijah. Let's get back to the being. Let's get back to the whisper. Because you'll find me in the whisper. And the whisper will empower you to continue the doing. Why don't you stand with me? I want us to take a moment tonight to find God afresh in the whisper. See, God's calling you to that place. Be still. Be still and know that I am God. Be still. Be still. And in the stillness, can you hear the whisper? I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you and you and you and you. Guess what? I first loved you. When you didn't even know me, I loved you. When you didn't know me, I died on the cross at Calvary for you. I first loved you. So we have this really bizarre understanding that we love God and then he thinks we're okay. No, he loved you. You need to hear that tonight in the whisper, that he loves you and you and you. And when you discover that God loves you in the being, you'll then seek after him for the doing. See, there's no one employed in the kingdom. No one employed in the kingdom. Every person is placed tonight, God has placed gifts and talents in your life. But you've been focused on the gift and the talent. You've been focused on the gift and the talent of the person sitting on your left and your right. You're saying, if I had that one, if I had this one. What is God saying to you tonight in regards to the whisper about what he's put on your life? Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 